Welcome to St. Alphonsus Wellcast, the podcast where we explore the many facets of health and well-being. This podcast is brought to you by St. Alphonsus Corporate Health and Well-Being and a generous grant from the St. Alphonsus Foundation. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the St. Alphonsus Wellcast. This is Kim Cleveland. I'm a family nurse practitioner with the St. Alphonsus Corporate Health and Wellbeing Department. Today we are continuing our series with the Brain Health Program with St. Alphonsus. We've had several guests at this point and we've sort of ranged the topics of um, different types of dementia and cognitive impairment, um, things you can do in supporting your loved ones. And today we're going to continue that conversation with Marissa Click. Marissa is a board-certified chaplain, and she works with St. Alphonsus in the Brain Health Memory Center program, providing support to individuals and their families. She also has a background in um, hospice and is very well-versed in all things end-of-life. So we will be talking today about advanced directives, advanced care planning, and the different types of documents that um, you may need to know about. So this will be a two-part series, and the first is right now where we will discuss the different types of documents and, and give a cursory overview of those before our next episode when we'll dive in a little bit deeper. Thanks for coming on, Marissa. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, how's it going today? It's going great. Um, I'm really passionate about... Uh, helping people navigate uh, their wishes. And so some of the the hope or the dreams about um, coming on today was just we hear a lot of misconceptions and a lot of people don't really understand all of these documents and how to fill them out and who needs to help and where to put them. Uh, so my hope is, you know, we can educate the community and give them some resources because it can be kind of overwhelming and scary, especially if you're being asked to have these really deep and meaningful conversations at a time when your stress and your anxiety is really high because you're in a health crisis. Right. A lot of times we get these, uh, we get these requests to fill these out when people are in the hospital, when they're having a health emergency or, a really big change in condition. And so the hope is if we can get people talking about these things sooner and more often with their families, with their primary care doctors, uh, it will just make things so much smoother when they do end up in a crisis. Because we all will, right? At some point, we'll all have a health change. Oh, 100%. And, you know, I think you're hitting it, you know, the advanced directive part of it, right? Like planning in advance, having an idea of how you want things to go before everything is, is going downhill and spiraling. So, right. so important to have these conversations with, with those that are close to us as well. Yeah, yeah. So I thought for this first one, um, we'll just kind of talk about the different documents and what they mean just a little bit. And for our next one, the hope would be we'll really dive in deep and Mm -hmm. help people think through some of the questions they might want to ask themselves as they work through those those documents. Wonderful. So which one should we start with? So um, I think let's start with uh, the differences between advanced directives and post forms. Okay. So an advanced directive is... Um, a document that allows someone to write down their goals, their values, and their preferences for future healthcare decisions. And it also lets them stipulate who they would want 
to communicate their care decisions on their behalf mm-hmm. if they were unable to communicate for themselves. Right. And so this this document, the advanced directive, is is really for those future scenarios that we might be in. Um, and the document also, uh, again, allows you to choose somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes we don't always think about you know, that we're going to be in a situation where we might not be able to participate in our care. And that doesn't always mean it's a traumatic issue like a car accident or, you know, something major like that, you know, but especially, you know, folks who have dementia with progressive illnesses where cognitively they might not be able to make their own decisions. It can be really important to know what their preferences are, what their values are, who they are as a person so that that can be the guide for the medical decisions. Right. You know, a lot of times in medical care, we want to do everything. We want to fix things. We want to make people better, right? Mm -hmm. Most of us who get into the healthcare industry, that's like our hope and our goal. That's kind of what makes our heart beat. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, there comes a time when we can't fix it anymore, right? Or there are treatments that aren't really going to, solve the problem, right? They might they might help with some symptoms. They might help you have a better quality to your life. But ultimately, there comes a point for all of us. I don't know about you, but I've never met anybody that gets out of this world alive. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, the advanced directive is really a way for people to have their personhood honored when they get into that scenario where they might not be themselves anymore where they might not be able to participate in their care anymore Uh or make decisions for themselves. It's a way for their voice to still have value and impact and for them to still have some form of agency at a time when they probably won't. Yeah, and as you're saying these things, something that's coming to mind is in my background in primary care, having a lot of individuals, particularly older adults, because usually they've um, you know, people in that age category maybe have given it more thought than people in a younger mm-hmm. age category. Very normal. Yeah, but a lot of times I would hear, oh, I have a will, or oh, I have, you know, it's written down somewhere, but they don't necessarily have a person who's dedicated to be the person making their decisions for them in the event that they cannot. And, you know, the the considerations initially coming to mind are, um, you know, who's going to know where that document is, you know, what's mm-hmm. the, how does that stand up in terms of, um, if you, particularly if you have requests to not do any life-sustaining treatments and things like that, like what does that look like? And, and can you just tell me a little bit about the benefits of having a person that you're using as your surrogate? Yes, I sure can. So in the state of Idaho, if you haven't named someone specific that you want to be your decision maker, uh, there is actually a law in place that talks about who would kind of be that default person. And it's under uh, section 39-4504 of the Idaho State Legislature, if anyone's really wanting to dive deep into this and know the laws. And so again, this is just for the state of Idaho, because every state has their own Mm -hmm. kind of laws about these statutes and how they work. It's the same with the documents. Mm -hmm. Every document's Mm -hmm. a little bit different compared to what state you're in. And so in Idaho, if someone has not completed that portion of their advanced directive that indicates who they want to be their 
healthcare decision maker. It can also be known as their surrogate decision maker mm-hmm. or your medical power of attorney. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All of these terms are kind of interchangeable, so yeah. to speak. Mm-hmm. So if that's not been decided, then the the order that the Idaho State Legislature says that they're going to choose who speaks on behalf of that person mm-hmm. if they can't speak for themselves, mm-hmm. it goes court-appointed guardian. So mm-hmm. in some cases where somebody has lost their capacity, their ability to make healthcare decisions mm-hmm. on their behalf, and there's not any other family or friends who are willing to fulfill that role, often what happens then is they are helped along with the aid of social workers usually uh, to kind of have a formal guardianship put on them by the court. Okay. And so that guardian then is the one who's going to start navigating their care and not just health care, but where they're going to live and their mm-hmm. finance finances so that they can pay for all of these mm-hmm. things. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause unfortunately uh, you know, healthcare costs money and living right. costs money. Um, and so uh, that would be the first one, mm-hmm. right? And so if somebody doesn't have a court-appointed guardian, if no one's willing to step up, you know, that might be the route that, you know, the healthcare agency mm-hmm. in which they're in mm-hmm. would choose to go to mm-hmm. find a decision maker. So if they don't have a court-appointed guardian, uh, the next person would be their legally married spouse or partner. Okay. Um, and I say legally married, and I have to hit this pretty hard because in our state there is not um common law marriage that's not upheld and so uh people often will come in and you know they've been together for decades living Mm -hmm. together Mm -hmm. making their lives together in in everything but that piece of paper document Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. married um but in our state that that doesn't count um which is really hard because if that's your person, right? If they know intimately about you, and especially, your wishes and yeah, right, yeah. And if you've been estranged from mm-hmm. the rest of your family or don't have as intimate of a relationship with other people in your lives, um, in your life, then you know that might be really difficult to hear mm-hmm. as that person's spouse that they don't get to make those decisions especially if they're in conflict with a family member who is then going to be the decision maker right right so yeah it's definitely uh, a legally married status um so just a reminder if it's if this is your person and it's important take the time to to go get married uh and make I get legal. Yeah. <laughs> make it legal if that's important. Or write down in your advanced directive that right. this is the person that you want to speak for you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no time like the present to get stuff taken care of because we never know when something's going to happen. That is so true. <laughs> okay. And so if there's not a court-appointed guardian, there's not a legally married spouse, uh, then it would go to an adult child. An adult here means 18 years of age or older. Uh, if there are multiple children, they would kind of be in a combined okay. co-decision-making yeah. uh, kind of status. Uh, if there's not an adult child, then it would be a parent if the parent is still living. If there's not a parent, then it would be any relative of the person that is appropriate and agrees to be in that role as healthcare decision-maker. And then after that, if there's absolutely no family then it could be any other competent adult who agrees to fulfill the role 
and is not employed by or providing care to the person in any medical setting uh, associated with their care. Gotcha. Right. Now, does that person, any any person who's willing, is this someone who knows the individual or? Yeah. So we would definitely recommend somebody who knows the individual, right? Because they're going to have to make some pretty big decisions right. on that person's behalf. Right. And knowing them is pretty important to make those decisions mm-hmm. and knowing, you know, what their values are, what their preferences are, you know, if, if these treatment options that are being decided on are going to align with who that person is mm-hmm. as a person. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, we definitely want somebody who knows them to some degree. Right. Um, but there are times when there isn't, there right. isn't anybody. Um, and so that's why, you know, typically if we find that scenario, especially where we have, you know, uh, we often refer to them as adult orphans, but mm-hmm. folks who have just journeyed through life and they've mostly been alone, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'd probably recommend, you know, find find a friend that's willing to be in this role. Right. Um, or, you know, again, there's always this, the support and the ability to get a court-appointed guardian and right. social workers can usually help with that stuff. Right. Yeah. All very important points. So going through that cursory glance of the options, this is the default, right? So we've gone through what will happen if there's no document in place or there, um, it's unclear what the wishes of the individual are. And that's the hierarchy of, of the continuum of um, decision-making that will occur. So the two other documents that we're planning on talking about, including that advanced directive and the post form, um, in the advanced directive, primarily individuals are appointing that individual within that form. Is that correct? Yeah. So there's two parts to that advanced directive. There's the appointment of your medical power of attorney mm-hmm. or your healthcare decision maker or your surrogate decision maker. Mm-hmm. These terms, again, are uh, kind of interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other part is the living will part. Okay. And that's where you would write down your preferences mm-hmm. and your values in those specific future uh, healthcare scenarios. Right. And we'll get into more details on that in part two. Great. That sounds great. Um, but it's good to know that there are two different parts to that form. One involves the individual, and then one gives some guidance for that individual and your healthcare team in terms of what your um, what your options are. And and also, just one last question about the advanced directive. If you're in, in pointing an individual to make those decisions for you, does that individual have to sign off on this? Or is this just something that maybe someone designates somebody and then that person finds out at the time of need that they, they've been appointed? Yeah, so we definitely encourage folks to talk with the person that they would like to be their healthcare agent. Uh, they do have to agree to be in that role. Okay. And it's helpful to know for them mm-hmm. that they are going to be in this right. role. You know, as you go through that living will section where you're putting down your preferences and your values and those medical decisions that you would make in those future mm-hmm. scenarios. Um, if I'm in that role as a healthcare agent, I want to know kind of what those decisions are for you and maybe even why. Mm-hmm. Um, not as a, a means to question your decisions, mm-hmm. um, but just to know more fully so mm-hmm. that when the medical team comes to me as mm-hmm. the agent, uh, I have a better background and a better understanding and how to be your voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
you know, in that section where you name a healthcare agent, uh, you have like a primary person, but mm-hmm. you can also put backups, mm-hmm. right? And so if, you know, for whatever scenario occurs for you and your health, you know, if there's a scenario that somebody that you've decided to be your healthcare agent has said, oh, I, I don't think I can make these decisions or I can't be in this role, mm-hmm. it's too much, uh, it could go to the next person and the next person, the alternates. That's great. That's a great process to know about. Um, so, okay. So let's talk a little bit then about the, the post form. Yeah. So, um, a post form is the, it actually stands for physician order for scope of treatment. And so this is actually a medical order, a doctor's order that follows you out into the world. Mm -hmm. And so this document is for right now. You know, we were saying advanced directives are for the future scenarios Mm -hmm. you may be in post forms are for your health decisions right now. Mm -hmm. And so they have similar similar items in terms of healthcare decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll talk about things like, would you want to receive CPR or would you want to be intubated? Mm -hmm. Um, Would you want to have artificial nutrition and hydration? Um, But again, the difference is advanced directives are for the future, post forms are for right now. Yeah, I'm hearing post form, which is funny because I'm from Oregon and they're post forms there. Yes. Which are physician mm-hmm. orders for life sustaining treatment, which are a different thing or, or similar. Yeah, it's they're basically the same okay. document. Yeah. Uh, they're just a little bit different names, right? So yep. in a, I don't remember which state, uh, but they call them most forms. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it just it depends on which state you're in. Yeah. What exact term yeah. uh, they use. And there might be some slight right. differences in right. the documentation. But for the most part, uh, they're asking similar questions. Yep. Um, and the post or the post or the most, uh, <laughs> they, again, are all doctor's orders. Right. And so what's really important about this is, you know, if you uh, are at home and something happens, right, we're all trained from a very young age. Mm-hmm. You call 911, EMS comes, yeah. right? And so if it's important to you, if you've decided, you know, maybe I'm not seeking any more medical treatment for my illness um, or there aren't treatment options available to me mm-hmm. that would provide a cure. If you've decided I don't want to keep going back and forth to the hospital anymore mm-hmm. uh, and you have a lot of chronic health issues Um, it might be a good time to talk to your doctor about filling out a post because um, in our country, the default is we're going to do everything. everything. Yeah, Yeah. it's called full code, Mm -hmm. right? So if if your heart or your breathing were to stop, the default here is we're going to do everything to try to bring you back or to save your life. Right. Um, And so what the post form does is, you know, if somebody gets scared, which is a totally normal and natural response Mm -hmm. to a health crisis Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh again that that default uh training kicks in and we call for ems and when ems comes if they don't have a doctor's order Mm -hmm. there where they find you their deep their default's going to do everything right right and so the post form is really if if those things are important to you to not come back to the hospital or you're a do not resuscitate um, you don't want to be intubated, all of those things. It it gives the ability for EMS to say, okay, we're not going to do all of the things we would do under normal circumstances to save somebody's life mm-hmm. or to bring them back from the dead. 
um, because we have this doctor's order saying, right, not to do, so. don't do these things. Right. And they're generally a pretty bright color. And I think if I'm remembering the instruction is to put them like on the refrigerator or somewhere really visible yeah. in the home. Is that, yeah, they used to have to be on a, like a salmon colored paper. Okay, right? So yeah. they were really bright, <laughs> like this highlighter right, color to grab right. attention. Uh, that's not a requirement anymore, but it's always, I mean, you can print it on whatever paper you want. Gotcha. Um, is it helpful? Sure, because it's eye-catching, right? Right, right. Uh, but sometimes they're just on white paper. But yeah, it is recommended that those things live, you know, by the front door or on the fridge. Um, I hear from most folks the fridge is a good place because I think sometimes that can be kind of um, revealing if you have people right, come over and it's right. like, whoa, this big post form is just the first thing that you see when yeah, you walk into someone's for sure, home. for sure. And if you don't want to share your health information, which again is... Totally understandable and acceptable. Right. Uh, yeah, you might not want to put it right at your front door, but definitely within reach, not shoved into all of your paperwork that's in the safe in the right. back room. <laughs> oh, so true. Um, okay. And so we're going to delve so much deeper on our next episode into all these different considerations regarding these forms. But the one question I have regarding both of these forms is do they cross state lines? So if you're from Idaho and maybe visiting family members in California, Oregon, or New York, or wherever, do these things stand up um, throughout all the different states you may visit? Yeah. So most states will honor each other's advanced care planning documents. Mm -hmm. It's pretty common. Okay. Uh, you know, if... Um, you're planning on moving, uh, it's best to fill one out for the state in which you reside. Uh, but again, they'll usually be honored depending on where you go. Uh, I know here in Idaho, the Department of Health and Welfare uh, this year just took over advanced directives. Mm -hmm. And so they actually have a, a database mm -hmm. now where you can, in a safe and secure location, store that document electronically. Oh, okay. uh, so that can be really helpful if you're a big world traveler or right. you go out of town a lot. Most people don't think about like on their packing list to yeah. bring their advanced care planning documents. Right. Uh, but it can be helpful to have because, again, we don't know when an emergency might happen or when an accident might happen. And so having access to these documents in a quick and easy format can be really helpful and one way to do that is to put it in the Department of Health and Welfare's registry. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for that insight. Um, okay, so this concludes our first episode where we're talking about advanced directives versus post forms and the, the general characteristics of each. And then um, we hope you'll tune into the next episode where we'll delve in a little bit deeper to all the different types of forms and the considerations when completing all of your advanced care planning documents. Thank you so much for coming on, Marissa. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of St. Alphonsus Wellcast, brought to you by St. Alphonsus Corporate Health and Wellbeing and the St. Alphonsus Foundation. Always be sure to catch new episodes by subscribing to us through all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. We hope you'll tune in again. Until then, be well.